Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Great. Great. It's so good to be here this morning. What a fantastic time we've had together already. How good has it been? How good was worship? Yeah, fantastic. You guys, you led us excellently. Thank you so much. It was really, really good. And I think today has been a significant moment in the life of this church. It's, it's quite a funny one. Today, I want to talk a little bit about significant moments. But before we go into that, it, it's, it's been a bit of a funny one. We were praying in the back just beforehand, and Steve was praying. And he was praying and said, actually, God, I believe this is going to be a significant moment. And oh. There we go. There's, a, there's something. That's, that's encouraging, I think. Fantastic. So it's going to be a significant moment there. And then, Leanne, as you were leading worship, you were saying, today is significant for some people here. It was just that one word, significant. Significant. And today I want to speak a bit about significant moments. Our lives are made up of them. These tiny little snapshots in time. These tiny little moments that shift in our lives where something happens and it takes us from one track where we might have been going one way to another. Our lives are changed in that moment and it's not every single moment. We can try and live every single moment consciously aware that what I do now is going to shape history. You'd be a nervous wreck. If I woke up every morning and thought, what socks am I going to wear? It's going to shape my history. I might not get that job if I wear my bright pink socks. I'd be a nervous wreck. You'll notice I'm not wearing... Well, you may not notice. No, you won't. I'm not wearing bright pink socks today. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. <laughs> but maybe you guys are here this morning, and today has genuinely been a significant moment for you. During worship today, maybe you encountered God on a level that you didn't recognize before. Maybe you learned something new of the character of God. Maybe as we were singing that third song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Something happened in your life and you, something just clicked. Something dropped and you realized, you know what? I am a child of God. That's the sort of significant moment that I want to talk to you guys about today. And before we go into that, I think it would be wrong of me to, to just brush on. Uh, Leanne spent a bit of time during worship as we just reflected on that. But I want to just spend just a few brief moments, just recognize the power of what's just happened. If as Christians we believe during worship we encountered God, we can't leave this place the same. Let's just take a few moments, a few moments of silence. And just say, thank you, God. Just recognize the power of the moment. William Temple is quoted to have said that when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they stop. Now, I'm sure at that point he's being a little bit farcical. He's having a bit of a joke. When he prays, coincidences happen, and when he doesn't, they stop. But it's also true. It's also relevant for today with these significant moments. When we stop, as we just have, when we give time over to God, and we say, have your way, God, significant moments happen. When we don't give these moments over to God, guess what? It's not going to happen. 
It's not going to happen. You might have a great time. You may well get that job. You may well progress in life on the route and path that you're thinking. But God has another plan for your life. He's got another purpose for you. And it's through these significant moments in our lives that we are shifted back on track. Just nudged each time. I want to share a little bit of a significant moment from my journey as I was setting out and exploring becoming a follower of Jesus, what exactly that meant in my life. And it's quite funny, actually, that uh, I'm sharing this today because Sarah is here on on the second row. And Sarah is, in both senses, one of my oldest friends. Um, She's also my old youth worker from when I was growing up. When I just set out as a Christian, Sarah had a huge impact in my life. And she really introduced me to God and guided me on that path. So it's, it's quite interesting that she happens to be here on the day that I share this as well. No pressure. <laughs> but it was about when I was 16 years old. I'd made a commitment to follow God. I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know what it would look like. I'd said the prayer, as every Christian in the room here knows what the prayer is. But we also realized that that's not it. You say the prayer, and that's fantastic, but that's just a starting point. That's just the beginning of the journey. I'd made that step, but what came next? What does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus? I'd been invited along to a youth service at the local Baptist church, and I thought, oh, I don't really want to go. I ride a moped. It's a long way to get there. I thought of every single excuse I could not to go. But in the end, I ended up going. I was convinced to go reluctantly, but I went along. And it was during that worship, the time of worship there, where we were singing the songs, the band were leading us in worship, that I had a significant moment I encountered God in a way that I had never experienced before. And to be honest, I've not experienced him in this same way since. So it's not that I'm a super holy person. I'm not some Jedi monk or whatever who's super connected to the Holy Spirit or anything. It's not that. I have never encountered God in this way since. But I was there in the worship, my eyes closed. And we were singing the songs. I can't remember what the songs were. But as we were singing, as my eyes were closed, I just felt this heaviness upon me. Exactly as Leanne was saying earlier, I felt this heaviness come upon me. And I thought, oh, well, that's a bit strange. Maybe, maybe I fell asleep. Maybe someone's trying to wake me up. Maybe someone's put a jacket over me or trying to move me on or something like that. But no, it, it, I felt heavy. And I opened my eyes to look around and see who was poking or what they were doing to me. And I couldn't see anything. All I could see was blackness. It was darkness all around me. And at first I started to freak out. I thought maybe I'd gone blind or something really dramatic. And I was, I was, I was on, there, on my knees there, eyes wide open. And there's just blackness all around me. I was panicking. Eventually, though, this light began to form just off in the distance, just somewhere out there. Really, really dim light. Uh, I, it, that caught my attention. So naturally, when you can't see anything except for one light, you fix your eyes on that light. And I was there, I fixed my eyes on that light, and it began to grow And it began to illuminate the world around me until eventually it took on the form of the cross. Now, if you're a Christian here today, this might sound a little bit cliche. I apologize. But this is exactly how I encountered God. I was there in the darkness and the cross was illuminating the world around me. And I realized I was on this island, just a little piece of rock around me, completely cut off from everything else. And there was this cross in front of me and I knew 
somehow, some way, I just knew I had to get there. You know, do you ever have those moments where you just know something? You don't know why you know it. There's no scientific evidence to say, you know what, this is right. I've got to do this. You just know something because you know it, because you know it, because you know it. <laughs> there's no evidence. There's no reason. There's no logic. You just know it. And I just knew I had to get to this cross. Before I really knew exactly what was happening, uh, as I was desperate to get to this cross, I felt myself beginning to get this heaviness removed. And I noticed I was pulling things off of me, pulling them off of me and putting them out in front of me, throwing them out. I don't know what they were at this time, but this heaviness, this weight, this burden I was feeling was coming off me as I was throwing it out in front. And eventually it took on this form of a bridge and I was able to cross over and I was amongst the cross. Now, I would love to have said that I was able to stay there. It was fantastic. It was amazing. I know exactly what it was. But unfortunately, I can't say that. It was at that exact moment that I woke up, as it were, that I came round. I, 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 it's a really difficult thing to explain because you just sound crazy. I can't really say, I had a vision from God because that's just a bit weird. But that is what it was. I honestly believe that during that time, I encountered God and I understood something of the message of Jesus and his cross at that moment. The cross was significant in my life. Today, I want to talk about a global significant moment. I don't want to talk necessarily just about me because I'm quite a boring person and I've got time to fill and it wouldn't take that long to talk about me, I promise. But I want to talk about a global significant moment. I want to talk about the cross. In fact, I've got one just over here. I don't want to talk about the physical structure of the cross, though, the two planks of wood put together. I want to talk about the moment of the cross. Please don't fall over. I want to talk today about the day that God died. Ooh. Sounds dramatic, doesn't it? The day that God died. As a church, we've just celebrated Easter. Three fantastic events where we all came together as church, as family, as friends. And we served our community in a phenomenal way. We saw lives changed. We saw people coming to know God on a way that we've never seen before. And if you're a part of the church here, if you call yourself an lcc uh, if you call this church home and family, and I want to say a massive heartfelt thank you to you all. It was such a great time. I was truly humbled to get to serve alongside you guys in this. It was, really was truly incredible. But what is Easter? Over these three events, we gave the story of Easter, of a man called Jesus who was put on a cross, who was executed, and then we say he rose again. But what does that mean for us? I want to talk about the cross today and what the cross means to me, but what it means to you as well, or at least what it should mean to you today. Maybe you're listening to me today and you've been a follower of Jesus for a while. You've been committed to him for, I don't know, 50 years. You've lived faithfully, you've always prayed, you've read your Bible, you know God, and you, you think you've got it all nailed down. Hey, fantastic. That's so good. 
You know what? I would love to be like you in 50 years. I would love to be like that. But guess what? God's got more for you. He's got more for your life. And hopefully by the end of today, you'll have just grasped a tiny sense of what God has in store for your life. The story of Easter begins way back in time. Like, not just like last week, not like throwback Thursday, but way, way back in time, like the beginning of time. The story of Easter starts with mankind. The story of Genesis says that mankind were in the Garden of Eden, in the presence of God, in absolute paradise, one-to-one with God. But they disobeyed the one commandment that he gave them. They disobeyed the one commandment, and as a punishment, death was allowed to walk the earth. They were expelled from the presence of God. If we now fast forward several thousand years, quite a, quite a big fast forward, I know, but if we, let's go forward just several thousand years, and we see mankind, we see the people of Israel, as it picks up in the Bible, absolutely crushed, crushed by, by decades, centuries of oppression, cast out from their promised land, in a foreign land, lords and other authorities over them, all because of their wretchedness, because mankind fell from God's grace. But one good thing did come out of this time away. This crushed oppression bred in them a theology of hope. It bred in them a hope that God had not forgotten them, that God was going to send a warrior, a king, who would come and would lead them out of their chains of bondage. He would lead them back into the promised land, and he would assert God's rule and God's reign over their life. And he was coming. He was coming. They hoped for the redemption which God had promised would be theirs. And they thought the religious fanaticism was the answer. They thought, if we can just protect our commandments, if we can protect the rules so that no one breaks them, then the Messiah will come. We'll be restored, we'll be redeemed, we'll be back with God. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, let's put a rule there. So if you, if you break that rule, then you're that little bit close to breaking the commandment. But if you don't break that rule, then you're safe. You're okay. Okay, but that's a bit too close. That's a bit too close to the commandment. What, what, what can we do? Okay, let's put another rule in place. So we'll do this. So if you don't do this, then you're not going to be getting close to doing this. And if, you don't, then if you're not getting close to doing this, then you're not really not close to doing this. But <clears throat> still a little bit too much. Still a little bit too close. So let's put another rule in place. And it went on and on. And as we know it in the early stages of the, new, of the Old Testament, what originally started off as really just ten commandments. There were a few more, but ten really key important ones had become hundreds. They'd become thousands of rules, even to the extent that, one of them I know for sure is, you weren't allowed to spit on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to spit on the ground unless you spat on a rock. Because if you spat on the dirt, it would make mud. And making mud, well, that's work. And you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. It got utterly, utterly preposterous with their rules. And they thought by doing this, they were protecting the commandments. God was going to come. God was going to save them because of this. But guess what? It just drove them further and further and further away from God. 
we pick up the story of Easter during the Roman oppression. To the, to the Jewish people, the Roman oppression was worse than anything else that had happened in the past. Before, they'd been cast out of the promised land, the land that God had said was theirs. They'd been taken away from that and put in a foreign land. Generations had grown up never even seeing the land that was theirs. But now, under Roman rule, they were in the promised land. They lived in the land of their ancestors, but it wasn't theirs. The land wasn't theirs. The people of Israel were intrinsically linked with the land of Israel. But here we find them. They're there, but they're cut off. It's not their land. It's not their promise. And every day they'd wake up and they'd think, oh, what socks do I wear? How do I comb my hair? Oh, I'm off to work. What am I going to do? And they're constantly reminded that, oh, this isn't our land. We're not right with God. And that everyday reminder made it so much worse than growing up in a foreign land. But the hope, the hope was still there. The hope of this Messiah, this hope of the warrior king who was going to come and, rev- and save them was still there. Along comes Jesus, a carpenter or son of a carpenter from the north. And this man is seen to be doing incredible things, amazing miracles, the sort of things that they'd seen in the past and they began to wonder could this guy be the one? Could this man be the one sent to restore us, the one sent to redeem us? Could this guy, could this Jesus be our Messiah? Hope began to, to build. Rumor began to spread. Expectation grew to a climax until on this one day, as Dave was sharing just the other week, on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, the ultimate sign of an ancient king. A bit strange, I know, but let's go with it. Riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and they thought, yes, here he comes. He's going to lead us. We're going to break out. Get your swords ready, lads. The Romans are going down. He's here to assert God's kingdom, to assert God's rule and his authority. But, but, it soon turned out that King Jesus, warrior Jesus, Messiah Jesus looked very different to how they were expecting it. The hope and the expectation the Jewish people had soon turned around, turned the opposite direction. The cries of, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. Lord, save us. Restore us. They soon turned to kill him, crucify him, humiliate the imposter. This man, he's not our savior. He's not our hero. And this hope, this expectation was crushed. Because Jesus didn't match the bill. He didn't look the way that they wanted him to. And so the Roman Empire, they bowed to the pressure. They bowed to the weight of cries against this man. And they hung him on a cross. A little bit bigger, probably, than this one. But they hung him on a cross. They executed him. And the Bible says he wasn't alone on the cross. He wasn't the only person who was executed there. The King James Bible translates it and says that he was hung between two robbers. Now, it's interesting. That translation of the word robbers there, it's, it's not quite right. I don't want to go too much into semantics here, but in an ironic way, the, the use of the word robber there has actually robbed us of the significance of this time, of this moment. The word that the uh, 
is in the original Greek, it should actually be translated as insurrectionist. Jesus was hung on the cross between two insurrectionists, people who have seen the authority over them, and they've rebelled against it, often using violence. They've raised their fists against the Roman Empire, and they've said, you know what? I don't bow to your, you. I don't bow to your God. I don't bow to your eagle. You're not my God. And as punishment, they were executed on a cross. An insurrectionist. We might translate that perhaps as a freedom fighter, a hero, maybe even a patriot. They've fought for their kingdom, for their country. They've fought for what they believe in and tried to topple the system that they radically oppose. But to the Roman Empire, they were terrorists. They were terrorists. And these two men and Jesus were executed as terrorists. You see, this event of the cross, this moment of crucifixion of the cross is a power play. It's, it's a grab for power, for authority, for strength and might. The Roman Empire ruled with an iron fist. They, they came in, steamrolled in with their army. They would take over the land and say, we're your gods now. We're your kings now. We are your authority. Bow to us. Anyone who doesn't, anyone who raises their fist, met the cross. They were executed on the cross. Roman culture was all about separation and segregation and keeping people at arm's width. So puffing up the Roman citizens, making sure that they were well looked after. They're powerful. They were strong. They were rich. But everyone else, everyone who's not a Roman citizen, the migrants, the immigrants, the slaves, they were kept down. They were crushed. Their authority was nothing. We see this perhaps best in the book of Philippians. It's a great, great little microcosm of the Roman Empire. You, you, you see the city of Philippi as basically a mini Rome. I was saying about this in November when as a church we looked through the book of Philippians. Philippi being a Roman colony was a mini Rome. So we see that epitomized best there. We see the Roman elite upstanding, rich, wealthy, hundreds of slaves, and we see the oppressed, we see the Jewish, we see the Greeks, we see the migrants crushed. In a world utterly consumed with authority, we get one radical commandment. Paul writes to the local church in Philippi, and he says this. Now watch this. He says, imitate Jesus. Cultivate the mindset of Jesus. Think like Jesus, who, being found in the very likeness of God, who was in himself the likeness of God. He had all the authority. He had all the power. He could have crushed Rome with a, a single thumb. He had all the authority. In a world dominated by gaining authority, exploiting authority, we see God. We see Jesus, the same as God. But he didn't see that equality with God as something to be exploited. Though he was in himself equal to God, he didn't see it to be exploited to his own benefit. Instead, he humbled himself. He put aside the privileges of deity. He became human and he submitted himself, even to death on a cross. 
You see, that, that, friends, is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's not about crushing each other's around to promote yourself. Maybe you're at work and you're thinking, I don't have any authority here. Well, what about gossip? What about when you're talking in the staff room at work and you, someone says a comment and you're like, oh, yeah, I can't believe that. And you go and tell someone else. You're leveraging or leveraging, leveraging their, their character. You're pushing yourself up. You're trying to gain authority at the expense of someone else. What about your family? What about your home time? Where are we trying to puff ourselves up, promote ourselves? Are we, are we exploiting others in an attempt to increase ourselves? Think like Jesus. Though he had ultimate authority, he put it aside. He didn't see it as anything to be held on to his own benefit. This moment on the cross, Jesus hung on the cross, that was the final straw. That was it for the Jewish people. You know, there were a select few who were holding out thinking, you know what, he could do it still. I don't know, maybe as he's there on the cross, he's going to grab a soldier's sword and he's going to lead this revolt. We're actually going to get free still. But then on the cross, Jesus did the one thing, the one thing that the Messiah couldn't do. He died. You can't lead a nation if you're dead. You can't liberate a people. You can't reconcile mankind with God if you're dead. Or can you? You see, it's at this exact moment that God's kingdom is revealed. It's at this exact moment that God... How's that? Is that still working? Great. Fantastic. It's at that exact moment that God's kingdom is displayed. We have the clearest sight at the character and the nature of God. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul writes this. The Son is the visible image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from amongst the dead. So that in everything, in everything that is to come to pass, he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Once you were all alienated from God, and you were enemies in your mindset because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. This is why this moment in history is so significant. This is why the destiny and fate of the world has shifted. This is why we cannot stay the same. When we encounter God in our lives, this is why we cannot stay the same. Because God became human, 
and on the cross he died but as we've already alluded to today those of us who are Christians we know and Pete explained it so well last week the story doesn't end there no it goes on three days later we believe that Jesus rose from the grave and from that we know that the evil that Jesus came to vanquish it might not have looked like the Roman Empire it might not have looked as the Jewish people had expected but the evil was vanquished death had no hold over Jesus death had been robbed ironically by the man who was described as a robber it had been robbed of its potency God had taken a structure of power of authority and abuse and he twisted it into a construct of hope of love and of trust and new life this moment is significant let's not trip on the cable this moment is significant because it shows us how we should live our lives there's some song some lyrics written by Hillsong uh, they're really simple words don't worry I'm not going to actually sing them for you don't worry but it says this the hope of the world lifted on high calling us home with arms out wide the hope of the world lifted on high calling us home with arms out wide you see Jesus' death and his resurrection it's not just a symbol for people to look to it's not just a symbol for people to put on a chain and wear it around their neck but it's a battle cry it's a call to mobilization it's a cry of victory you know what death is defeated the enemy the evil has been vanquished it is the ultimate revelation of God's kingdom in his book the cross shattered Christ Stanley Hauervas says this the cross and Jesus' death upon it forces us to acknowledge that the past is not truly the past until it has been redeemed the present cannot be confidently known except in the light of redemption and that the future exists only in the hope made possible by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus again this is why the moment of the cross is so significant because it gives us a hope of the future it gives us a hope that actually one day though we will die I'm sorry to say our physical bodies we will at one point in our lives terminate we will cease to exist in a very Monty Python way we too will die but death doesn't have a hold over us that actually if death lost its grip on Jesus it too has lost its grip on us it too no longer has a hold on us you see that is what the cross means to me that is what Easter means to me I don't know if during just this time whilst I've been speaking even God has been talking to you maybe you've just been feeling something maybe a fluttering in your stomach maybe as Leanne described it earlier a heaviness come upon you and you're not quite sure what that is well friends I want to say that's God that's this moment being significant to you maybe you feel a little agitated hey that's great that's fine in just a moment I want to invite the band back up and how we're we doing for time we have run over a little bit but I think we need to capitalize on this moment this moment is significant for some people as I've been speaking people have been stirred God has begun to say something to you you've realized that your life cannot be the same you can't leave church this morning the same way that you came in 
I don't know what you're going through in your lives at the moment. I don't know what your work situation's like. I don't know what your family life is like. I don't know if you're happy, if you're sad. I know some people have got a lot of exams, as Lawrence shared earlier, and hey, we'll be praying for you, mate. We'll be praying for you. I know there's a lot of pressure on you. But let's just take a moment. Let's take a moment. Let's come before the cross. Let's take a moment and say, God, take control. God, would this moment be significant? Perhaps you found yourself in an unhealthy loop in your life. You found yourself in an addiction that has taken root over your life and it's cycling around and there seems to be no way that you can break out of it. Well, hey, I'm here to tell you that the cross has the answer. The moment of the cross has the answer. Maybe you're going for a promotion, as Leanne was sharing just earlier. Maybe that's you. Hey, you're not sure? Don't worry. The cross. The cross has the answer. Maybe you're here today and you're happy with your life. Everything's working fine. Hey, my job is great. My family, love them. Love them. They're fantastic. Well, hey, good for you. That's fantastic. But hey, God's got more for you. God's got more for your life. And the cross, that's the beginning of it. Coming before the cross, that's the genesis of your new life. I'm going to hand over to the band for a moment now. And they're just going to lead us in a little bit more worship. And I want to encourage you, if anything has encouraged you today, if you feel that this moment is a significant moment in your life, why don't we come down here just to the front. There's nothing special about the front down here. There's nothing special about this exact spot, but it's about this shift in movement. It's about this moving ourselves, making this physical decision that actually I agree with what's happening. I, I need to do something here. Maybe you feel like you've got business that you need to do with God. enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.